world can be a pretty lonely place, but it doesn't have to be. Here at the Rarely Write podcast, we want to celebrate stories, authenticity, and discuss life. And most importantly, every single person is welcome. Hi, my name is Ray Schneider. I am a counselor and I have been partnering with nonprofits for the last eight years to help individuals in high-risk environments get the mental help that they need. And I'm also the author of the My Silent Half Project, which was a project I launched um, several years ago now, about seven years ago, um, where I really discussed what it was like to actually come into my own truth and begin to live my full story and not really segregate it as the silent and the part that I was actually allowing people to see. And that's what we want to do here at the Rarely Right podcast is we want to celebrate all stories, the full story, um, and encourage you to, to turn around, digest what we talk about, and be able to find your own nuggets of truth. So again, welcome. So I have always been a person who believes in second chances. If you've had the opportunity to listen to any of the podcasts or you know me personally, this is something that will probably not be very surprising to you. I truly believe in second chances. I actually believe that people mean well, that we're all going to mess up sometimes, that some of us are going to make silly mistakes, that All of us are not going to be our best version of ourselves every day. That in fact, humans are human and to be human is to be flawed. I I radically understand that and support that. In fact, as a counselor, that's my job, right? So my background is I've primarily worked with women um, in at-risk situations. And what that means is, is these women are coming in with profoundly heavy loads on their shoulders. These are women who are coming out of jail um, due to prostitution or drug addiction or both or worse. And many of these women um, lost their children to the foster care system because they were put in jail, because they made this one or two or three or four or five mistakes. And so when women end up in an office space with me, oftentimes it's because they have to. And that means that some of them do not want to tell me their story. It also means that some of them really want to tell me their story because until they get through the program and this process, they don't even have an opportunity to start trying to fight for their kids. And so as a counselor, it is my job to create a blank canvas for them Yes, I have to read their files. I have to know what's going on in their story ahead of time because I need to be aware of triggers that I may create. Now, I can't be aware of everything because this file is only telling me what the legal system has judged them and labeled them for. It's not telling me how they got there. Um, and so I, I have become professionally good at, and I try to be very personally good at, creating that blank space and giving people the opportunity to tell their story, to own you know, the things that they didn't do correctly and to, to be able to branch out beyond that. The thing is, though, and I, and I don't know if you have this same struggle as I do, I don't tend to give that grace space back to myself. I actually hold myself to these irrational, like, 
who can get their measurements. I, I hold myself accountable to something I will never succeed at. And then I'm so angry with myself when I don't get there. And what's really interesting is uh, about eight or nine years ago, I can't think of the math off the top of my head. It may be because I have to see myself talking, but I, I was writing an article for an online, um, like online magazine website about perfectionism. It was one of the first times that I was going to actually talk kind of negatively about myself. And I was going to write about something that I had identified at 16 and say that, you know, my fight with perfectionism had really begun at that point when I was no longer willing to give myself grace space because I believed I always had to be perfect. And so I met with my mother uh, for lunch a couple days before I was going to have to finish that article and, and send it in. And I had met with her because I was really anxious. She's a really loving human. She's a Midwest mom, which means she worries more than she breathes. And I wanted to kind of warn her that this was coming out, right? I didn't, I didn't want to put that burden on her. And so I was telling her about, you know, the article, I was telling her about my fight for perfectionism. And, and when I really began to notice that it had happened, and I was kind of telling her because I was worried that um, it would hurt her you know, that I had been struggling at that point with perfectionism for like roughly 10 years. And she listened very kindly. But what was really um, mind-blowing about that story was she said, well, that, that was a nice story, um, but you've definitely been struggling with this far longer. Now, I had prepared for how that conversation was going to go like a lot. Like I had five different paths that this was going to happen. And if you're a type A, you totally get my headspace. And if you're not, just be grateful. But one thing that I had not prepared for was for my mother to tell me that is not when it started. And she proceeded to tell me about a time when I was six years old and I had come home from T-ball and my mom is like, hey, how did it go? What did, did you like it? And I told her all the things that I did better than anybody else. But I also told her all the places I failed. Six years old, I was acutely aware of where I was already failing. And that to me is terrifying in some aspects. To be six years old and to already be so aware of it. And see, what's interesting to realize with this story is... Like I said, if I had assumed that my fight for perfectionism had started at 16, but in reality, it had started when I was six. And now had I had not had that conversation with my mom, I would have never known that. In one conversation, I was faced with a reality that had always walked with me, even if I had never acknowledged it or knew to do so. Meaning the timing of my acknowledgement of my perfectionism had no dictatorship over the actual wiring in my mind and in my heart. Are, are you with me on this? So I feared I wasn't enough far longer than I realized my self-acknowledging that it began at six rather than 16 doesn't change the fact that it was there the entire time. It just broadens my awareness of it. And I believe there are so many things that are similar to this. For instance, 
I believe sexuality to be the same way. Until you're faced with the reality of something, how can you ever understand the actuality of it? If we were to take, you know, sexuality, for instance, um, you know, some people just just knew coming into their bodies, you know, when you start to become aware of things and, you know, when you're 12 or 13 or 14, depending on, you know, when your drive or sexual drive began to take place, they just knew it was in their wiring. They were deeply connected with who they were and they trusted their instincts over the story that they were given, whether that was you know, by their parents or by society or by movies or whatever was around them that influenced them. There are people out there who have always known who they are and stayed true to that. And that's, that's my gay friends and my straight friends. And I have always been jealous of those people because I am not one of them. My story was never enough. And when faced with the ability to really dig into my feelings for women, which by the way, happened multiple times. I was given multiple opportunities to face that conflict going on inside me. When I was faced with the ability to dig in all four times that I can think of off the top of my head or run as hard as I could away from it, Well, I laced up those running shoes and I hit the pavement. But just because I didn't acknowledge the fact that I was attracted to women doesn't negate the fact that I was and that it still traveled with me no matter how far I ran. And I believe that's the same for every man and woman who date the opposite sex before they realize they had a deeper and more spiritual connection with the same sex or vice versa. I have friends who dated same sex because that's where they believed um, they had an attraction and then they had a deeper connection with the opposite sex. I don't think that it um, just exists in one spectrum. I do believe that that attraction could have been and probably was always walking hand in hand with them the entire time. And so I'm going to repeat myself here because I think this is an incredibly powerful statement. Until we are faced with the reality of something, we can't understand the actuality of it. I believe this to be the same with the depths of our insecurities. I believe this to be the same with our march against or inside of perfectionism. I believe this to be the same with our sexuality, and I believe this to be the same with our spirituality. Now, I have a lot of atheist friends who are not gonna be so thrilled about this part of the podcast and my heartbeat around it, but I beg you to stick with me because I believe our spirituality as human beings is consistent even when we desire not to look at it. We are spiritual beings because our spirits are relational. We crave relationships. Our spirits are connective. We crave connection. We understand this through friendships, through romance, and through faith. Spirituality exists even in the presence of people 
denying it. This is what I believe. It doesn't need to be defined by a specific people group or religious institution. In fact, sometimes they really muck it up. There are millions of people around the world who have never heard of spirituality defined by the English language like we proclaim here in the United States. Um, and they still feel it. They feel it inside them. They feel it between them. And there are millions of people who have heard it defined by an institution and denied that definition and still live spirituality out in their everyday lives. They feel it in the chemistry between the person that they love the most. They feel it in their other relationships. They feel it in the movements of their body or when their feet hit the grass. They feel it in the beauty around them. Too often, I believe that we do not think something exists until we've defined it. We are in the era where Google it is a real thing. We love knowing everything and we have the opportunity to have everything at our fingertips. But life is not as simple as Google it. It is so much deeper. There are so many things that live outside labels and boxes and name tags and the Google search engine. You can tell me all the bones in my human body and you can label every characteristic about me. There's a lot of them, mostly flaws. But at the end of the day, I am still more than the bones that you named and the personality, good and bad, that you identified. I am still vibrantly deeper. And so are you. Our emotions, our sexuality, our spirituality, these are things that you can't slap a label on and call it defined. Not everyone knows how they feel until they live out experiences. Not every heart acknowledges the encompassing spiritual beat around them until they're faced with the music that matches it for them. Not every man or woman who's gay now knew they were at 13. Some of them had to be faced with something deeper than they had experienced before, before they could understand what had always been traveling with them. Not every emotion makes sense. Not every experience is as simple as what's typed up on a sheet of paper. Not everything can be rationally defined and perfected. Life is deeper than check boxes on a survey. And that's where we're meeting each other today. The battle against perfectionism is to realize that you can never become the person you want to become depending on a to-do list. 
and on a stat sheet. You are more than your accomplishments and you're more than the things you've never accomplished. See, the fight against perfectionism is not an action. It's facing the reality that you're actually already fucking fantastic as you are. See, the fight against perfectionism is understanding that we are whole and enough as we are. And that anything we do outside of that, any accomplishment we have, any trophy we put on our mantle, metaphoric or physical, any bonus that we get at work, any relationship that we grow and nourish, those are all on top of you being enough, but not creating you as enough. So humbly, I come to you and I say my entire life has been about perfecting the unperfectable. And yes, I I made that word up, but you can use it too. It has been, my life has been about taking my best, asking for more, sometimes getting more because I'm as, I'm pretty ambitious, but then still believing that I'm not enough. It's been about hiding behind labels I thought I needed to have and running from emotions that I was scared to experience. In essence, my life has been about perfecting how I checked the box and then avoiding the boxes I wasn't sure I'd be able to check off. Does that make sense? It's been about image and status. And I'm dismissing all of it. And I want you to as well. I think for the remainder of this year, our goal should be to literally strip off the calloused lies and failings and labels that we've stuck all over us as if where we've been defines where we're going. Because no matter what that looks like for you or where it takes you once you've pulled off those labels, it is radically better than being burdened by something you can't control. I've had people tell me, um, you know, you're wrong about perfectionism. It makes me a better person. It pushes me to do more. And I, I fight that. I think your ambition pushes you to do more. I think your perfectionism holds you back from doing even more than that. Because perfectionism, yes, maybe in some way we feel like it's connected to our ambition. I disagree, but maybe you do. And I'm, I'm going to allow you to feel that way because I can't control you. But what I am going to say is, I also think that it pulls you back from the opportunity to try new things. If there is a chance that you will fail, perfectionism will tell you not to do it. If there is a chance that you will be vulnerable in front of somebody else, perfectionism will tell you to hold your tongue. If there is a chance that you could get hurt again, perfectionism tells you don't do it. So perfectionism, in essence, I do not believe is what puts the cape around your neck and helps you fly. I think it's those rocks sitting on the cape holding you back from being the full version of yourself that you can be. You don't need it 
you're actually more than what you've decided you are through this really busted lens that you don't need. And so I started this podcast or, or about halfway through with a quote that I want us to live inside of. If not just today, um, I mean, if just today, fine, but if we could for the rest of our lives. And that is until you are faced with the reality of something, you can never understand the actuality of it. And that has to do with your emotions. It has to do with your relationships. It has to do with your spirit. It has to do with your body. It has to do with you as a whole person. If you can come face to face with your perfectionism and remove it, I will be so excited to hear the stories that come out of the actuality of who you are outside of the label maker, because I bet it's freaking phenomenal. Let's fight against perfectionism by deciding to say no to the voices in our head that say, you have to be more. Instead, let's say, I'm enough. And now I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight after the goals that I have.